Well, good morning. It's a new year, right? It's a time when many of us think about New Year's resolutions, which is not what we're going to talk about today, so you don't, don't worry about that. But we talk and we think this time of year about what we want our lives to be like this year. We think about how we might want our lives to be different, how we might want to become a different kind of person. And one of the things that we talk about a lot around here at Lincoln Berean, at least in the last couple of years, you heard it already from Ryan this morning, but you're going to hear it from me again. We are people who come together to know Jesus, to become more like him, to become a different kind of person, and to help others do the same. So how do we become more like Jesus? What's the process look like? Ryan said that God in his grace begins to transform us. But what does that process look like? And there are several passages in the scriptures where the authors talk about this process. And they're long passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 1. 1 John chapters 3 through 5. That whole thing. Is John talking about this process? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And one of the things, if you were to go and look at these passages, you would notice that there's a certain central characteristic, and it's the characteristic of love that's central and core to the passage. It's what comes to characterize love, and agape love is what comes to characterize the personality of the person who has become or is becoming more like Christ. In other words, when we become more like Jesus, we begin to love the way Jesus loved. So to understand this process a bit better, I'd like us to look together at just a portion of one of these passages, because all of those are really long. We're only going to look at about half, maybe not even half, five verses of Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. But one of the things you're going to notice in this section is that there's a lot of terms that we have to define. So even though it's only five, six verses long, there's a lot of things we have to kind of define and move quickly through. But before we get there, you can turn there. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard, but I need to give you a little bit of background because we're jumping right into the middle, right? Paul's already been talking in Colossians for two and a half chapters. So I need to give you a little bit of background about where he's coming from, right? So in many of Paul's letters... He writes to churches, he writes to followers of Jesus, and he's trying to explain how to live in the new reality that Jesus has made possible for us, this new reality of a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Prior to Jesus, the only way to really relate to Yahweh, to our Heavenly Father, was through a sacrificial system that made people right with God. It took care of their sin, at least temporarily. But when Jesus... Through his sacrifice, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, he made it possible for us to live in an ongoing relationship with our Heavenly Father. When we trust in Jesus' death on his cross for our sins, we begin to enter into a right or righteous relationship with our Heavenly Father, and we can continue living in that relationship all throughout our life and on into eternity. And as we do that, God in his grace, as Ryan said, begins to work on us on the inside and he begins to transform us and make us more like Jesus. Now, in many of Paul's letters, he kind of follows a certain pattern. In the first half of the letter, he takes a lot of time 
to tell us what's true. There's almost no commands in many of the first part of Paul's letters. He tells us what's true about the world. He tells us what's true about God. He tells us what's true about us because of sin and the world and the brokenness that we live in. Then he tells us what Christ has done. Then he tells us who we are now that we've trusted in Jesus. And then in the second half of the letter, he begins to give us commands. The book of Romans kind of follows this pattern. Ephesians follows this pattern almost to the letter. The first three chapters of Ephesians, there's almost no commands. But when you get to chapter 4, one command after another on how to walk and how to live as a follower of Jesus. The book of Colossians is similar to that. It's not quite half and half, but Paul spends the whole first chapter telling us about the preeminence of Jesus and how important he is. And I'm going to give you just a few sampling of verses from Colossians chapter 1, and then we'll step into where we are in 3. Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him. And for him, this is a statement about what's true. It's about what's true about Jesus. It's about what's true about creation. He goes on, verse 21 of the same chapter. And now he's going to talk about us. He's going to talk about the Colossians, but it's also applicable to us. He says, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. It's a statement about who we were and who we are now because of the work of Jesus and because we've trusted in that work. Chapter 3 then starts with a big therefore. Paul is saying when he starts chapter 3, since all of this stuff that I've talked to you about is true, here's how you get to live. Verse 1 of chapter 3, keep seeking things above. Verse 2, set your, heart, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Verse 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See all these commands? Another couple of them. We're getting closer, right? Verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, since you have laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. These are clothing metaphors. So he's talking about the idea that you've laid aside, you've taken something off, you've laid it aside, and now you've put on something new. So what does he say? He says, since you've laid aside the old, pra- the old self with its evil practices and put on the new self, that new self, by the way, is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So Paul is reminding us again, as followers of Jesus, we've put off the old way. We've taken off that clothing and laid it aside. And we've put on something new. We're being radically changed by the power of Jesus. So we continue to put on those new clothes and live in them. And now we come to our passage for today, verse 12. Look with me at that. So, or therefore, again, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So Paul's doing something else that he does pretty regularly. Even though he spent a good portion of the first part of the letter telling us what's true, before he comes along to give another command, he says, I'm going to go remind them again. So he tells us what's true of us again. 
Three things in verse 12 that he says are true. He says, first of all, you're chosen of God. This is a reference to this mysterious doctrine of election, that somehow, if you've trusted in Jesus before the foundations of the world, you were chosen by God in Christ. We're not exactly sure what all of that means or how that plays out in our life. It's kind of a mystery. Brian talks about this a lot, that that we can't really fully understand this, but somehow you were chosen to know God's love, to know his grace, to live into a relationship with him for all eternity. Second thing that's true of us, we're holy. This word means set apart. It means other than. The way God is other than us, we are supposed to be other than the way we used to be. It's also a reference to this idea that we were not only chosen to know God's love, we were chosen to wear a new set of clothes to represent God to the world so that people would look at us and they would say, I'm not sure where you got that but I think it's what I'm looking for. Third thing that's true of us, we're beloved or beloved, or maybe your translation says dearly loved. This is a reference to the personalness of God's choosing you. That is, he didn't just randomly pick some names out of a bowl. It's a reference to his rugged covenantal commitment. That's God's love. His rugged covenantal commitment to be with you and for you as you journey towards becoming more like Christ. So Paul says, these three things are true. You're chosen, you're holy, you're beloved. So since that's true, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's define those terms. So compassion, we tend to think of compassion as uh, feeling sorry for somebody, seeing something and empathizing or feeling sympathy for how, what's going on in their life. But it's really a lot more than that. Three elements that comprise true compassion. First, it's seeing a need. It's that there's a need expressed and you see it. Secondly, when you see it, there's a response inside of you of mercy and, and love And then thirdly, there's an actual action to alleviate the need. So Paul is saying, become people who don't just see needs, but who see them and are moved and actually take action to meet those needs. Second word is kindness. This word is a reference to Paul's favorite term for grace, it's it's the idea that God showed super abundant grace to us prior to our ever even asking for it. Paul's saying, become people who are so willing, so ready to offer grace and kindness to people before they even ask. Third word is humility. Now, sometimes we struggle with understanding what humility is. Some people would say, well, humility is thinking lowly of yourself. It's being a doormat. It's kind of walking along and kicking rocks and not really thinking. That's not humility. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. It's thinking of others as more important than yourself. That's how Paul defined it in Philippians chapter 2 with Jesus as the model. He says, be people who don't think so much about yourself, but think about others. Let that be your focus. Fourth term is gentleness. 
Gentleness refers to strength under control. It's the idea of a horse that's been trained and he's been broken to a bit, so now he's still got tremendous power and tremendous strength, but it's under the control of the person holding the reins. Gentleness is how I would say I would like to be known as a father and as a husband. Because in my house, I'm the person with physically the most strength. The strength to do evil or strength to do good. I could hurt people. But I would want that strength to be under control. The control of the Holy Spirit. So that I'm known as a gentle person. That'd be true of my words, not just my, my strength, my physical strength. The last word is patience, or it could be translated long-suffering. That's how the King James translates it, which is a really good translation because it's your willingness to suffer, to be patient with someone over a long period of time, to suffer for a long time, long-suffering. So these five terms, these articles of clothing, they're all nouns. And Paul moves in the next verse to what we would call the participles. He's saying, these are the clothes that you need to put on, or you get to put on, but let's look at what it looks like when you're living in those clothes. Verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the Lord forgave, you so also should you. So we're to bear with one another, to forgive one another, Forgiveness, C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. So we love the idea of forgiveness, especially when we need to be forgiven. But when I've been offended, really offended, it can be challenging to forgive. The word used for forgiveness is a very distinct word. It's charismai, which describes an act of grace. It's, it's related, the, the, the same root word for the word for kindness in the previous verse. It, it means to show grace or be gracious to someone else, even to those who have offended you, before they even ask. It goes beyond the idea of just saying, I forgive you. It means to be gracious to others the way God has been gracious to us. Bearing with them. One of the things I want you to notice about these Words, these articles of clothing, even the idea of forgiveness, bearing with me, they're all relational words, right? They require relationship with someone for us to live in these clothes, to act in these types of situations. So Paul is presupposing here that the people he's writing to will need to be compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. He's presupposing that they're living in close relationship where this clothing is going to be necessary. He's assuming a communal relationship with Christ, not an individual relationship. These were to be the everyday clothing that the Colossians were to put on. Not put on compassion when you need it and put on forgiveness when you need to forgive. Otherwise, don't worry about it. The ideas of patience and long-suffering and bearing with one another. See, they carry on this idea of an ongoing relationship. It means relationships that exist beyond just saying hi to someone in your section each week. 
This is the reason we're so committed to life groups here at Lincoln Berean. Because they give us a place for us to put on these clothes and experience what it's like to live in them. If we really want to become more like Jesus, it's going to require putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience in real, ongoing relationships. And if we were to do that, they would create what I would call a community of love, which is where Paul goes next. Verse 14 He says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Now, the verse could also be translated around all these things, put on love, which might be a better translation because if you're staying with the clothing metaphor, it's the idea of putting on a belt that draws all of these characteristics together the way a belt draws clothing together. Remember I said at the beginning that in all of these passages, love is the central point of reference. That's, this is it in our passage, right in the middle. The focus is on love, drawing all these things together, drawing them along towards completeness in Christ, towards maturity. The other virtues, if pursued without love, become distorted and unbalanced. That's that's what Paul's point is in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is the whole of God's law written into one command. Love is the most important command. And Jesus himself said the identifying mark of his followers would be love, an agape love, a love like God gives, a rugged commitment to be with someone and for someone as they journey towards becoming like Jesus. This is what we hope happens for you in a life group, that you would find some people who would be ruggedly committed to you, to be with you, to be for you as you journey towards becoming like Jesus and that you would be ruggedly committed to them as as they put on compassion, as you put on humility, that together you would move towards Christ-likeness. This is our hope. This is the place where that gets to play out. But Paul's still not done. He goes on, talks about peace and thankfulness in the next verse, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, in which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So the peace of Christ. You ever notice that when Jesus appears to people after his resurrection, how does he greet them? He says, peace be with you. It's the first thing he says almost every time. He says, peace be with you. That's the peace of Christ. It's the peace that Christ offers to you. It's an internal thing starts internally in your life, and then it begins to, as he said in the verse, move out into the one body of Christ. So what does this look like? Well, peace is kind of like an umpire who can tell us, like an umpire in sports, right, tells us whether you're following the rules, whether you're on the right track. This would tell us, are we on the right track? So internally, if you can say, I'm beginning, not perfectly, but I'm beginning to have a peace so that No matter what happens in your life, no matter your circumstances, no matter how people treat you, you're at peace. Because those things don't matter because I'm chosen and I'm holy and I'm beloved of God. That doesn't mean that they're not going to bother you from time to time, but you keep returning yourself back to what's true. And if that's true, then you would say, yeah, I think you're on the right track. 
And then that peace would begin to play itself out into the relationships in the body. So what does that mean? Well, it tells us that if there's conflict, then we're probably not on the right track. If there's conflict between you and somebody else in the body, in your family, in your relationships, probably not on the right track. Because if that peace was ruling in your hearts out into the one body, it would mean that you make decisions about your behavior, what you do and how you treat people based on how it will move forward the peace of the one body of Christ. Let me say that for you one more time. If you're letting that peace rule in your life as it plays out into the one body of Christ, it means you make decisions regarding your behavior, what you do and how you treat other people on the basis of what furthers the peace of the one body of Christ. That's what it looks like for the peace of God to rule in you and then out into the body. Paul also, though, talks about thankfulness in this verse. And six weeks ago or so, I had the privilege of being up here talking to you a little bit about, again, this process of becoming like Jesus. And we talked about the idea of thankfulness and how I'm learning that there's a difference between being thankful and actually giving thanks. And we said, that's a critical thing. We looked at Jesus talking about that. In this section, three straight verses, 15, 16, 17, Paul mentions thankfulness or giving thanks. It's important. It's critical. But I'd like us to look at one other dynamic that I want us to spend some time on this morning. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What does it mean for the word of Christ to richly dwell within you? What might that look like or what does it look like in your life? These are great questions. In fact, I'm going to give you the chance to experience just a microcosm of what it's like to be in a life group. I'm going to ask you to Talk about those questions with the person next to you. And if you don't know the person next to you, just take a moment to introduce yourself. Don't go into all your history or where you're from or any of that. You don't have time for that. You've got two minutes. The guys are going to put the verse and those questions up on the screen. Go ahead and talk about those. Okay. Let's pull this back together. Wasn't that fun? Aren't you more engaged right now? Now, see, I think you probably all had a lot of good things to say. And I would love to go around the room and hand you each a mic. But we would be here all day if we did that. But what you get to experience in a microcosm is what you would get to experience in a life group if you were sitting with people and chatting about this verse, chatting about the scriptures on a weekly basis. But since we can't hear from everyone this morning, and I have the mic... You're going to get to hear from me. I would bet that many of you talked about a couple of things. I'll bet you talked about spending a lot of time in the scriptures, that that's needed if you're going to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. I think that's a good thought. I would bet that some of you talked about memorizing the scriptures because how is it going to get inside of you if if you don't have it in your head? I think those are both wonderful thoughts, but I don't think they go far enough. I think there's several other translations that actually, of this particular verse, that give us some good pictures. So the guys are going to put them on the screen for me. I'm going to read them to you. The first one is the New Living Translation. 
says this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So I like this translation because of the phrase where it says, fill your lives. I think that extends the picture beyond just filling our minds with scripture to letting it fill our lives. Now, there's another one. This is the message paraphrase. Look at this one. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense and sing, sing your hearts out to God like we're doing this morning, like you get to do if you come to the worship time on the 14th, the extended worship time. But I like that translation because it says, let the message have the run of the house. When I hear that, I think it, it means let it be in charge of your life. Make enough space in your life. I, I, when, when it says, uh, what was the term there? It says, plenty of room. Give it plenty of room in your lives. It speaks to me this idea of time, of clearing enough space and room in my life for the message of Christ to take hold. Speaks of how long, how much time are you going to move in that direction. Third one, Amplified Bible. Now in the Amplified Bible, somewhere, there it is. Let the spoken, okay, in the Amplified Bible, the words in brackets, the translators, the interpreters added those words to try to expand the image. So that's what you're seeing there. Let the spoken word of Christ have its home within you, dwelling in your heart and mind permeating every aspect of your being as you teach spiritual things and admonish and train one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This word permeating, the idea that the message about Christ, that the word of Christ would begin to work its way into every aspect of my being. All of those such good pictures. So how do we do that? What does it look like? practically for us to make enough room, give it plenty of room in our lives to let it be in charge of the house, to let it fill our lives, to permeate every aspect of our being. I'm going to give you a picture with two parts this morning. It has to do with what's underneath this towel. And I know some of you have probably been wondering, what's that up there for? So this here is a compressed sponge. So it's pretty thin. And as we go through the morning, I want you to pay attention to how big it gets compared to how it is now. In this illustration, the sponge is us. And this pitcher of water is the word of Christ. So the first part would be, you probably know where this is going. As I pour the water over the sponge, what happens to it? It absorbs the water. It starts to expand this would be the first part of the picture, exposure. If we want the word of Christ to richly dwell within us, we have to be exposed to it. And for many of us, that's the public element. It's coming here. It's hearing a message, which is a really important thing. It's why we do it every single week. For some of you here this morning, coming into this room was a big step for you. You might not know anybody here. You might be a little bit out of your comfort zone. Can I just tell you I'm so glad you're here? Exposing yourself to the word of Christ. 
For some of you, you might not think, not, not, might not be sure what you think about Christianity or Christians or the Bible. Again, can I just say, I'm so glad you're here exposing yourself to the word of Christ. Now, that might not be what you thought you were doing when you came here, but that's what you're doing. And it's critically important. Joining together, exposing ourselves to the word of Christ is a really good thing, but exposure alone is not enough. I exposed this sponge, which would be us, to the word of Christ. I poured the water over it, right? And the sponge absorbed some of the water, right? We squeeze it out. Now, if I leave this sponge sitting out on the table for the next 24 to 48 hours, what's going to happen to it? It's going to dry out. Somebody said it over there. It's going to shrink up a little bit. If we really wanted the sponge to be permeated with water, if we wanted the water to fill the sponge, it would be better to leave it here. Right? It would be better to let the sponge soak. That's a different image than just exposure. Soaking is something that happens slowly. You don't say, I'm just going to go soak in the tub for two minutes. Nobody does that, right? I mean, the point of soaking in the tub is it's supposed to be long and leisurely and relaxing, or, or so I'm told. I'm, just, I'm not a soaking in the tub guy. But that's what it's supposed to be. To soak and to permeate our lives in the scriptures would be to spend time there on a regular basis. To read it on my own several times a week, if not every day. To read it slowly, thinking about it, asking the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives. See, that's what I think it's referring to when it says the spoken word of Christ in the Amplified, which is just a way of saying in the others, it's talking about the message Right? A message that was spoken originally about Christ before it was written down. So I think it's referring to that, but it's also probably referring to the idea that the Holy Spirit of God has something he wants to speak into your life today. One of the promises of the scriptures is the Holy Spirit will take the words of scripture. He will remind us of everything Jesus has said to us. He will lead us into truth. He will guide us. And I believe that's what Jesus wants to do in your life all throughout this year, all the stuff that you're going to go through that you don't even know about yet, he wants to speak into those individual circumstances. And one of the primary ways that he does that is through this book. Lots of ways God reveals himself to us. But one of the primary ways that we learn who God is and what he's doing and what he wants to do in our lives is through the words of this book. Because the words of this book, they're not meant to remain external to our lives. They're meant to get inside of us. They're meant to deal with our souls. They're meant to get inside and deal with who we really are on the inside. Our desires, our struggles, our dreams, our passions, our loves, our frustrations. These words are meant to form in us a life like the life of Jesus. And they can do that because there's more going on here than just written words on a page. Certainly the Holy Spirit inspired these words when they were written, but I believe the Holy Spirit also takes this truth and he speaks it into our lives. What do I mean by that? It's similar to the way a coach or a parent or an instructor might speak into your life, maybe a pastor, lots of different people that speak into your life over the course of your life. 
It might happen through a sermon. It might happen while you're just reading the text individually and a certain phrase sticks out to you for a while and you think about it and you ask God, what are you trying to say? Maybe he's trying to challenge you, encourage you, convict you. It might happen when you're having a conversation with someone else. Maybe it happened for you this morning, just in the two minutes, and you talked about the verse. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes it in Hebrews chapter 8. He's talking about the new covenant that God made through Jesus. This is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10 from the message. He says, the new plan I'm making with Israel or the followers of God, it isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. Think Ten Commandments. This time, I'm writing the plan out in them. Carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. Isn't that beautiful language describing this relationship we get to enter into where God comes along and he works on the inside of us to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. But that doesn't happen very much if all we do is expose ourselves periodically to the word of Christ. It it requires soaking, which isn't something that happens quickly. But I want you to notice one more thing. The text, remember, is not written to individuals. The whole letter is written to a church, to a community. Part of letting the word richly dwell within us, just read the rest of the verse we haven't talked about yet, teaching and admonishing one another. This whole text is written to a community. In our individualized American lives, we read the text, we hear it individually, and we want to go apply it individually. We want to be compassionate when we need to be, and we want to forgive when we need to, and we want to be humble when the situation requires it. But we rarely at least I do, think about those things as a lifestyle that I'm going to live out among others on an ongoing, regular basis. We want to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us by meditating on it and memorizing it, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's critically important. I do that on a regular basis. I would encourage you to do that. But part of the point Paul's making here is if you really want to become more like Jesus, you've got to do this living in community with others a community of love. Again, this is why I would encourage you to join a life group. It's a place where you can soak again in the scriptures that we looked at together on the weekend. And someone else can come along and they can say, well, have you ever thought about this idea when you're looking at that in your life? And someone else can come, hey, you know that relationship that you were talking about last week? I've been praying for you and I've been thinking, maybe you need to forgive that person. There's a dynamic that goes on there that you don't get when you're just by yourself. It's part of why we want our life groups to be a further discussion of the sermon text so that we don't move on too quickly, so that we can soak. We have the opportunity to teach and admonish one another. So I would say, just like Ryan, check out the groups online. Go talk to the team in the hallway. And if you can't find a group that fits your schedule this session, then come to the Intro to Life Groups class that starts in two weeks on Sundays that I'm going to help facilitate. And we'll put you into a group. You'll get to be a part of a discussion there. And who knows, maybe a life group will form for you out of that. You can register for that online as well. One last motivator and then I'm done. Paul ends this text 
with an all-encompassing verse. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. That covers just about everything, doesn't it? Do it all in the name of Jesus, meaning do it all the way Jesus would do it if he were here in your place living your life. That's what it means to become a disciple, to become like Jesus. And if that's what we want in our lives, then these ideas of soaking in the word within a community of love, they're critical. Because here's the reality of our life this year. The reality of life in this world is that it squeezes us. Our fast-paced culture, FOMO, fear of missing out culture, YOLO, you only live once culture, it squeezes us. The political divisions, the racial tensions, the pandemic, they've been squeezing us for a while. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. The question is, when you get squeezed, what comes out? Well, whatever you've been soaking in is what comes out. So if you've been soaking in the garbage of the culture, that's what will come out. And if you've not been soaking in anything and you're just up here on a shelf, dried up, you got nothing to offer. But if you're soaking in the words of Christ and the truth, and if you're doing that in a community with other people, then the fruit of the Spirit is what comes out. Compassion, kindness, humility. Gentleness, patience. When life squeezes us, are we in a place where we can immediately begin absorbing again? Because if I'm up here out of the water, I got to wait for a time of exposure again. But if I'm down here and I get squeezed, I can immediately begin absorbing again. So let me just ask you, what if? What if you were to figure out some time in your crazy schedule to soak in the word of Christ, to really hear the Spirit speaking to you, to allow the Scriptures to work on the inside of your life? And what if you didn't just do this alone, but you joined a couple of people, a community of love, and you allowed them to speak into your life, and you spoke into theirs, and you were ruggedly committed to one another? What if? What would be different about your life in six months if you went on that journey? There's only one way to find out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so grateful for your word. So grateful for Jesus that he made it possible for us to enter into an ongoing relationship with you and then live well in ongoing relationships with the people around us. Thank you that we don't do this alone, that your Holy Spirit is here, but also that we have people around us, other followers, in which we get to live in a community of love. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here who, if they don't have that, that you'd help them to find it. And God, if they are involved and they are connected, Lord, that you would challenge them and spur them on to be ruggedly committed to those that are around them.
and to live with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience and forgiveness. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.